I'm 55 years old, I'm going to tell you a truth that you probably do not know about me. I have never watched Peter Pan all the way through in all of my life. I have never fully read from front to back the book Peter Pan. I have heard bits and pieces of it. I say that until a, just a couple of months ago. The kids were up and we were, we were trying to find something to watch and somebody mentioned Peter Pan. And I made the comment, I've never watched that all the way through. And Sonia's expression was, oh. And so we watched the majority of a presentation of Peter Pan. I watched part of it. Now, when I read a lot of, I, I enjoy some reading, and I'm out of school now so I can say this, but book reports were a pain for me. And uh, I lived in the pre-video era. In other words, you didn't have a VHS recorder where you could go down here to the corner and rent the video and watch it. The one time I did try that, the teacher said, uh, you watched the video, didn't you? And I said, yes, how did you know? And she said, because the book is different than the video. So caught me on that. But Peter Pan is a character of, of some fame. And we could this morning go through uh, a lot of different things that you could answer. And some of the kids probably far more things than, than I can. But I, I watched this portion of the movie with, with the kids and with my wife who is a kid. And uh, I picked up some things about him. He's a free-spirited free spirited and mischievous young man. Now, that doesn't set him out far different from a lot of people. And some of you ladies probably think that, maybe even of your, your husband. Uh, who did he interact with? Pirates. One of whom uh, he was influential in that man losing his arm and uh, an alligator, crocodile, whatever it was, got a hold of the arm and developed a taste for the guy. And uh, mermaids and native Indians and all that kind of thing was involved with this. I had somebody ask me one time, I, I put my name on a piece of paper, said you had to put your name, fill this application out, and I put J, just my initial Sumter, and, and the lady said, are you any kin to Jeremy Sumter? And I said, I, I don't know of any Jeremy Sumters. And I did find out that he played Peter Pan in the 2003 presentation of that. But here's what I found out about, and I, I'm not going to go through a lot of the detail about the person of Peter Pan, the character of Peter Pan. But I did find this out, that Barrier, when he wrote this, he wrote it having to do with his 14-year-old brother. And his 14-year-old brother... Uh, was killed in an ice skating accident. And the one thing that I want to sort of focus in on from that source of the story and from the story itself, he based this whole story around his 14-year-old brother who died, and he and his mother, uh, from there forward, thought of his brother as the boy who never died or who never grew old the boy who never grew old. And later on, as he began to develop his writing skills, he wrote this whole thing, which now through the years has been presented by multiple people in multiple ways. 
And there's one characteristic that in every presentation stands out about Peter Pan in just that 40 or 50 minutes that I saw of it. He never grew up. He never grew up. And I want us to sort of focus on that this morning, that, that thought in a spiritual way. Frankly, there's, there's people who never grow up. Have you ever been around some of those? I, I, I watch some folks, and there's some that I can... I tell, another interesting thing about the story was the, he flew, and the pixie dust, did you know where the pixie dust came from? He had to write that in because so many kids were going home and jumping off their beds and hurting themselves, that he had to have some way to justify that, so he put the pixie dust in there, and there could not be flight unless you had that. Interesting thought, that was free. <laughs> I suppose it's okay for a character in a book, a fictitious character, I suppose it's okay that they never grow up. But I'm amazed at how many people there are who never grow up. I've used the verse of scriptures multiple times through the years. It talks about when I was a child, I acted like a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. I've not been to a lot of class reunions and that kind of thing. I occasionally see some of the folks that, that I grew up around, whether in school or church. And I, I told you about the one that I saw the other day at his dad's funeral. When I looked over in the corner and I saw Clarence Sit Walter sitting there, and I thought, who is that old man? And uh, he's, he's my age, but he looked like a little old man sitting there. We have grown older. It's a shame when people grow older, but they never grow up. And I've watched in my lifetime people who grew old without growing up, and their lives represented the direct truth of that. And I want to say this this morning, we'll get to the reading of the Scripture. If your relationship with Christ is the same place that it was five years ago, one year ago, six months ago, and some of you could go 10, 20, 30, and we even have folks that in our congregation today that have been saved 50 and 60 years. If your relationship with Christ is what it was six months ago, a year ago, or any of these other numbers. You're not in a proper relationship. You stop growing up. The three commitments that every disciple of the Lord Jesus is required to make. The first one we praise the Lord for if you're in this group this morning, and that is a commitment to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ through salvation. You first come into that relationship by saying yes to Jesus Christ. There's the commitment to Jesus Christ in a personal relation through salvation that is of Him. Number two is there's a commitment to Christ through baptism. I was amazed this last week reading a missionary letter from a country in which tradition families, traditional religions of that nation, you are married, you are buried, all of life sort of centers around the church. And I was reading behind our missionary and he said this person came and they came forward in the services and they made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This was not an overnight, this was not a one-time thing, just they came to church one day and did this. 
this has been years of us preparing, of us working with. And he said he came and, and received the Lord as personal Savior. And like the story of the Scripture, his next question was this. Why can't I get baptized? And our missionary said, well, you can't get baptized. He thought he would be a long time getting him to the baptismal waters because families cast you away if you convert and are baptized into a different faith, a different religion. There is the commitment of relationship to Jesus Christ through salvation. The second commitment is that of baptism. Baptism is an identification. has nothing to do with your salvation itself. has nothing to do with the forgiveness of sin. Wash away anything from you. But it's a commitment to identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's the commitment to the local church. Every person who is born into the family of God, who chooses to follow in that commitment through baptism, then becomes a part of or a member of the local church. Being a member of a local church means that God can work through you. I emphasize to you this morning that what God does today, He does through His local church. He does it through the institution that He designed, He developed, and is closest to His heart. Because Jesus gave Himself for this institution of the local church. And our spiritual growth has all three of those commitments in it. Now, here's a question I want to pose, and we'll stand and read our text verses. Here's the question that I want to pose for this hour. What concrete actions can I take right now to enter the next step, to enter the next step in my relationship with Jesus Christ? We should never become satisfied with where we are. Paul said that I may know him, and we're going to look at that substantially this morning. As far as we know, Paul, whom he is writing to Colossians, the city of Colossae, he had never visited there before. He has only heard of the reputation and their testimony and some things that are going on, and what he is hearing, and I'll use it for our illustration this morning, what he is hearing is that within the church there are a lot of people who have been saved but have never grown up. They remain the same. And so he is going to address the root cause of that in the church. Stand, if you would, Colossians chapter 1, and let's begin in verse number 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. Verse 12 begins talking about action. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us 
into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood even the forgiveness of sins pray with us please father help us in the moments that lie ahead of us to be truthful with ourselves we can lie to our church family we can lie to ourselves but we can't lie to you for you are truth and i pray that you would help us to take the three things that we will address this morning about growing up growing mature an evolving changing relationship with you as paul is talking about in these verses walking worthy and knowing i pray that you'd help us this morning make me a human servant of you able to do in a spiritual way the things that you so desire may the holy spirit of god be allowed to use me to deliver christ's message i pray in jesus name amen be seated if you would please paul's prayer wednesday evenings we're studying and we've been in the book of ephesians in chapter three paul began with trying to pray and then he got sidetracked and Last Wednesday evening in verse 14 of chapter 3, we finally got to his prayer. Today we get to a prayer here, and Paul's prayer tends to be very different from the prayers that oftentimes you and I pray. Paul prayer, Paul's prayers tend to be different from what we say. Paul prays primarily for the spiritual needs of the church. And we can learn from the prayer how we can grow and there's three things I want you to note this morning if you would please just simple three things in a statement the statement is a little longer and the statement I want to use several times throughout the next few moments here's the statement please write it down and this is something that if we would grasp and apply would help us to grow this is the growing season I noticed out in the fields next to us, I was shouting glory because they're preparing them for tomatoes. They have them all plowed out, and they had put the plastic runners down the field for the tomato plants to go in, and, and instantly I was thinking, okay, it's April the 12th. That means May the 12th, June the 12th, July the 12th. Oh, three months away. We're preparing for growth. A few weeks ago in that same field, the Machines were coming through back and forth and they were preparing the soil. They were fertilizing. They were adding to. They were getting ready for growth. Now, these are some very practical steps, but here's the statement. And I think sometimes we've gotten things a little out of sorts with this. The first part of the statement is this. Spiritual growth is not just getting me into the Bible. Spiritual growth is not just about getting me into the Bible. And thank the Lord for those who have a wonderful reading schedule. Sometimes we read for information. Sometimes we read for blessing. And sometimes, let's be truthful, we read to read. We think we're expected. Our church every year in January, we still have others available if you would like those, but we give out a calendar. In the calendar, it has a Bible reading uh, method if you would want to use that you can and that method will help you to read the Bible through in a year can I tell you this that's a wonderful thing to do that's a great thing to be able to say I read the entire Bible through 
in one year. I was reading behind a pastor not too long ago, a few weeks ago, I believe I shared it with you in one of the services, and he reads the Bible through really four or five times in a year. And he has it figured up how many, he reads 14 pages a day. Uh, he reads the New Testament, I think it is four times a year, and he reads the Old Testament three times a year. That, that's wonderful. Understand what I'm saying. Spiritual growth is not just about getting me in the Bible. Now here's the second part of that statement. It's about getting the Bible into me. It's about getting the Bible into me. I'd say probably everybody in the room has done this at some point. Some of you may throw rocks at us that do this. You go into the doctor for some illness. It's an infection of some sort. You have a sinus infection, bronchial, whatever it is, and he gives you an antibiotic. If you're like your preacher, here's what you do. You take it until you feel better. And then you put it away. I found a bottle of medicine a few weeks ago. I needed some medicine, didn't want to go to the doctor. I started rummaging through a box. And the medicine expired, I think, in 2012 or 13 or somewhere in there. Uh, I took it. It did, didn't work. Had some side effects to it. No. But we put it away. And here, here's what usually happens. Here's what usually happens. Usually you feel better at the moment. And about seven or eight days later, you think, hmm, why can't I get rid of this? Now, I have a doctor who says this, and they look over their glasses when they say it. Take all of it. Because I'll go back in after about two or three weeks, and I'll say, hey, doc, that didn't work. Did you take all of it? You see... This phrase, spiritual growth, is not just about getting me into the Bible. It's about getting the Bible into me. And I think sometimes we become so concerned about, did I read my portion of Scripture today? When the concern should be, how did the Scripture today make a difference in the way that I lived today? So there are three stages of spiritual growth. Number one, these are all simple and simple worded. Number one, knowing. Knowing. The importance of growing in my knowledge. Notice verse number nine. That ye might be, fi that ye might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now verse number ten, he describes... One of the characteristics of someone who is growing in their relationship. And he says this, increasing in the knowledge of God. So obviously, the key is knowledge. Now Paul has a different, much different view or different understanding. In our culture, we view knowledge, we view knowledge from a Western perspective an American perspective. Let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever crammed for a test or an exam? Would you raise your hand? Some of you, your hands are going up a lot higher than others do. 
We put off and we put off. We think that if we can just grab this information. You know, here's what I have found through the years about cramming. I do it with the goal of passing a test and not gaining the information. Now, here is an interesting thing. A person can cram for, power pack a night with studying, and the next morning go in and do well on the test. But that is knowledge that quickly vanishes. I tell you this, I don't want a doctor who cram for their exams. Ask a student four days after. Ask a student ten days after. And information that you knew on the test, you don't know then because we think about wisdom and knowledge from a sort of a Western mindset. We tend to view knowledge as a means to achieve a goal, to get the initials behind our name, whatever it happens to be for a degree or a diploma. But Paul views this knowing or knowledge, he approaches it from a Hebrew focus, a Hebrew point. And the focus was more on the path or the process rather than on the goal of knowing. A physical illustration that I, I could give a couple of them with that. Uh, Sean Miller is a coach for the University of Arizona and he is one of the sayings that he teaches his, his players is this, honor the process, honor the process. For the Jew, or the, for the Hebrew here that Paul is looking at, Paul is engaged in the process of knowing God better. The process is going to eventually get him where he needs to be, but the process, uh, it was the process and not the goal that mattered to him. I read a story a number of years ago about some investors who wanted to invest in a manufacturing business. And they went through the entire manufacturing facility on a tour, and they were going to decide, am I putting my money behind this or am I not? And when they got to the end, when they got to the full end of the manufacturing, they were studying and watching as the product was being boxed and put away and readied for shipment. And one of the investors said this, I notice there is no inspection here. And so the owner of the company, the, the, the man that's taking them through on the tour said, no, this is not an inspection point. They said, well, you need to have a product inspection. He said, well, we may need to do that. He said, but here, the process is what we inspect. And he said, if we go back through the process, at every place of the process, you're going to find that at every station in this process, there was someone inspecting the process. We have found through years of experience of manufacturing, now listen to this, if the process is right, the product is right. So rather than inspecting our product, we are inspecting the process. And then the investor went over and said, well, I want to inspect the product. And so they went over and started to take the product out of the boxes that had been packed for shipping. 
And what he found was this. There was nothing broken. There was nothing wrong. There was nothing weak. There were no missing parts. Nothing was done. Nothing was fulfilled. It was just the product it should be. Paul, when he uses this word in our spiritual growth, knowledge, increasing in knowledge, the process is extremely important. Now, the words here, wisdom and understanding, there are two words that are related, but yet there is some important distinction between them. The Hebrew concept of wisdom, which is woven throughout the entire Old Testament, just pours through the entire Old Testament, is often equated with this word, skill. Hebrew, the wisdom, had to do with skill and ability. Let me give you some reference for that, examples for that. In the book of Exodus chapter 35, God gave Bezalel wisdom or skill for the purpose of building the tabernacle. But then when we sort of fast forward down to Solomon's time, Solomon uses that same word to describe skill in living. Not just building with the hands, but Solomon uses that word in the skill of living. Paul means when wisdom and knowledge are gained, it is going to change the living skill. We do that primarily through learning broad biblical principles and I dare say there's a lot of us, including myself in here, that know biblical principles today that we have not applied as they ought to be applied. That medication I told you about, when the doctor says take it till it's finished and I put it away, I don't do the application, suddenly here's what I think. Ah, I feel better. Ah. I've got this taken care of. I don't need this. I can do without. So I stopped the application. When I stopped the application, what has happened is that during the time of application, whatever germ is in me is being reduced. It's being controlled. It's being killed off. Now, you get, listen, if you, if, you were, if you today were told that you had cancer, would you want them to take a little bit or a lot or all? Get it out. But we take it until it's under control. And here's what I'm told. And a lot of different things that we're given medication for and we stop the application, that when it comes back, it comes back stronger why is it stronger because and that's what they're telling us about antibiotics in general and in our culture is the fact that we've been given so many of them that a lot of sickness has now immune to those antibiotics but it comes back stronger there's a lot of things scripturally that we know about the Lord there's principles that we don't apply all the time we know them but we don't apply them and so they don't give us skill in living now the greek word for understanding is a compound word and it literally means this to bring together 
the Greeks' ability to apply overall principle to any situation that might arise in life. Principles specific. Paul isn't referring merely to the accumulation. When he says increased in knowledge, he's not just talking about that cramming in and you get it to pass a test that you have within 24 hours. Paul's talking about knowledge that is received and then it's applied. And that application then changes the skill of life, applying the knowledge to specific circumstances. Number one, knowing. Knowing. How are we going to ever grow? How are we not going to be, and I'll say, spiritual Peter Pans? Christians who never grow up. It's going to first of all come by the process of knowing. Number two, doing. Doing. The purpose of knowing is to do. Now, verse number 10, that. That ye walk, that ye might walk, worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. For Paul, the reason that we're to know is it will change what we do. Now, the Hebrew mindset here, he viewed knowing and doing as two different sides of the same coin. The coin is the same thing. I saw somebody not too long ago that bought a coin. It was a penny. They bought a penny. They paid $75 for a penny. I just shook my head. That's one coin. And Paul looks at this knowledge and doing as one coin, but it has two sides. We notice there's some benefit with this. Knowing and doing. Two brief points with that that are both truth. I benefit when I get to know Jesus better. We spent a long time in the last year and first part of this year looking at knowing Jesus. We studied the names of God. But it's not just that I benefit from knowing more about Him. I have to apply what I know. I have to practice what I'm learning. That's the primary purpose in some ways. But I want to ask you a question. This is not a trick question, but I think we answer it wrong. What is the primary purpose of your life? (coughs) And answer that to yourself right now. What is the primary purpose to your life? The primary purpose of the Christian's life is twofold. One is to please Christ. The primary purpose should not be to serve Christ. And that didn't just relieve you of your obligation. Listen for the rest. But the primary purpose is to please Christ and to glorify God. Now, I said our primary purpose is not service. Our primary purpose is not salvation. The primary purpose of salvation is not to get you into heaven. 
The primary purpose of your salvation is to bring us back to the place that we please Jesus and we glorify God. Whatever growth that we experience in our lives has to be his work. Now, verse number nine, look down if you would. Verse number nine, there is a verb that is here. It's a passive verb, filled, filled. Now, understand when we read that verse number nine, that ye might be filled with this word filled, you don't do it. You don't fill. I don't fill myself. It is God who does the feel, filling. <clears throat> Paul doesn't write that you may fill yourself. The first truth is that I benefit when I get to know Christ. I benefit from the knowledge of knowing Christ when I put it into application by doing. The second truth is this. We see the truth that knowing without doing is dangerous. Knowing without doing is dangerous. Let me give you some verses. You don't have to turn there. You can jot them down or you can turn. In the book of Luke, in chapter 8, and verse number 21, And he answered and said unto them, My mother and brethren are these. Jesus was asked the question, or asking the question, who, who is your mother, who is your brother? And he answered and said unto them, My mother and brethren are these, which hear the word of God and do it. Two pages away in Luke 11, verse 28, but he said, Yea, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. And then in Matthew 7, 24 through 27, Therefore, whosoever heareth the sayings of mine and doeth them, I will make him unto the, like unto the wise man. Now this is where that little song, children's song, was born. Like the wise man which built his house upon a rock and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. What was the rock? The rock was this, hearing and doing. Verse 26, And every one that heareth the, these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto the foolish man. And we know in the next few verses what happened when the rains descended and the floods came. It says, Great was the fall of it. It's not enough to just know and hear the Word of God. It's not enough to read the Word of God. If you're growing, you have to know and you have to be doing. Number three. Told you they were simple words this morning. Number three. Number one, knowing. Number two, doing. Number three, being. Being. Getting the Bible into me. Verse number 10, Paul uses four words here to describe who I will become. He says, in knowing and in doing, those issues settled. This is who I become. When I become, we look, we look at these things, I become or I am being. There is a fruitfulness. In the Bible, fruit is usually a matter of character. It's a matter of conduct. And it's a matter of convert. It, it amazes me when we talk about fruitfulness that when Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, uh, the Bible tells of us that we, we uh, have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We ought to frequently inspect our lives. Inspect our lives for the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is what changes our character. And every one of us know that a part of the process of growth is change of character. 
And so when we're looking at the fruit, fruit in the Bible meaning these three things, the character, the conduct, the fruit of the Scripture when it is applied changes our conduct. We've said this for years. Our belief changes our behavior. Now, I just want to give you an illustration that move on. Our belief should change our behavior. Now, I want, you to, I want you to respond to me here. How many of you believe it's true that the Lord Jesus is going to return? If you do, say amen. amen. Do you really? I want to ask you a question then. Okay? You said it, I didn't. Just remember that. Not a trick question. So you believe that Jesus is going to return. How has that belief changed your behavior? You don't have to answer me out loud on that. How has it changed your behavior? The thought that one day, now listen, here's what we do well with. Oh, the Lord is going to come back and we're going to heaven. Glory, hallelujah, all things good and great, right? That's for you. But how has the belief that he's going to return changed your behavior in light of his word? And as we talked about in several ways this morning in Sunday school, in the conduct that we have regarding the command that Jesus gives us. Go, teach, preach, baptize, evangelize, highways, hedges, hospitals, and I can go on and on, wherever. So if we, if we if you, listen, if you believe there was a tornado, which I understand there's some tornado threat this evening in different states, if you believe there's a tornado coming, you know what? You're going to change your behavior for something. If you believe, you and I believe he's coming back, it's going to change our behavior. If we're wanting to please God and glorify God, and we know he's going to return, and we're going to stand face to face with him, then our character should be growing, our conduct should be growing, our comfort should be growing. That's all fruitfulness. But also increasing in the knowledge of God. Discipleship is not about passing a test, getting a diploma, or getting a degree. If you don't know God any better today than you did six months ago, if you don't know God any better today than you did five years ago, we're a Christian that has never grown up. Faithfulness, increasing in the knowledge of God, endurance, and perseverance in trials. Verse number 11, Paul said, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. This morning's Sunday school lesson sort of went hand in hand with that and we made the statement, going the difference, going the distance. Or to make a difference, you have to go the distance. You have to endure. There's things that are going to come up. The first century church didn't quit. They didn't stop. Beaten and abused, but it didn't shut them up. The Bible says that everywhere they went, in the temple, house to house, everywhere they went, they went preaching the gospel. After the government had said, you can't. There has to be endurance. The idea of being empowered here with endurance. Disciples bring glory to God when they handle trials with endurance. God, listen, God is not glorified with defeat or quit. He is gloried 
and endurance. And the fourth thing is his gratitude. Fruitfulness, increasing in knowledge, endurance and perseverance, and finally gratitude. I think most of us would say that we're, we're grateful. But I think Paul points out that genuine gratitude begins with the realization of the greatest blessings of life. What's your greatest blessing of life? If you're saved this morning, the greatest blessing of life is your salvation. And what God separated us from with that salvation. We ought to thank God every day. If you're here this morning and you're saved, you have been pulled out of hell. You have been literally pulled out of hell. We ought to be thankful for that salvation. If we're growing, that salvation is going to change us. We ought to be thankful for our church. Why? Because it's not our church, it's God's church. God's just allowing us to be a part of it. We ought to be thankful for friends. We ought to be thankful for our families. A life of gratitude also means that we don't take our blessings for granted. When's the last time you thank God that you breathed? When's the last time you thank God for your Bible? We saw this morning, and we may, if there's some interest in it, we may allow everybody that wasn't in adult Sunday school class to watch a presentation after church tonight from Brother Kim. But after we saw a, a big difference through the ministry of feeding the North Korean, I, I listened to Brother Knapp as he prayed for the offering. And reminded me and gave me some conviction of things. In his prayer, he said, Lord, I can't imagine what it would be trying to live on one egg a day. When's the last time you thank God for your salvation? When's the last time you thank God that you're able to breathe? When's the last time you thank God that you hold in your hands his preserved word that he made sure that you have? When's the last time you thank God for friends that he surrounded you with, for physical abilities? When's the last time we thank God for our trials? Now, I'm going to stop today with this, the same thing. What concrete actions? What concrete actions can I take today to make sure that I'm growing? Oh, we're all interested in the growth of our children, the growth of our grandchildren, and we will, we will spare no expense to try to make sure that they are growing properly. And as much as our concern is for them, God's concern is for us. It may make a funny character, an amusing entertainment, to think of a little boy who never grows up. But when you look at the reality of it, how sad. How sad to be a person that never grows. And how sad it must make our Heavenly Father when we choose to be children who don't grow. Our lives are constantly changing. I was in a conversation with 
Remy in the car the other day. We were in a conversation and he brought up to me my age. We were talking about family. And sometimes kids don't put two and two together. And I, I said to him, I said, I'm an adult. I said, but do you, do, you know, do you know who my dad is? I, surely he'll know. And he said, no, you don't have a daddy. I said, yes, I do. You're too old to have a dad. I said, no, I, I have a dad and I have a mom. Do you know who my dad is? And he said, who? And I said, Pop. And I said, Nan, is, that's my mother. And he said, adults don't have. I said, well, yeah, son, they do. You know, as you grow through life, you, you change a lot, but there's certain truths that never change. And here I am driving up Cold Harbor Road trying to explain to him that no matter where I am in life or what age I may be in life, I have a dad. I have a mom. And nothing will ever change that. Now, when I was a little infant, can you imagine that? When I was a little infant, I loved my parents. And I don't even remember how I expressed it. And then I became a toddler, and I could express that. And then I became a primary student, and I could express that. And then when you get to be a teenager, you're too big to express that. Then in your, you know, your teens, you think your parents are ignorant and don't know a thing. In the twin, your 20s, you're going to teach them a few things. And in your 30s, you're starting to realize they knew a few things. Here's what I figured out about my physical relationship with my parents. It constantly grows. It constantly grows. If I had the same relationship today that I had with them when I was a five-year-old, how sad. Our relationship now as an adult to an adult, I was kidding dad the other day, giving me a hard time on something. I said it's it's been tough raising kids. Don't make it tough raising parents. And we're not there, but... What I figured out is our relationship constantly grows. It's sad to see a family who the relationship stopped growing. And I've got to stop, but how sad it is to see spiritual Christians who just never grew up. And knowing and doing and being but yet we're satisfied to be there Peter Pan Christianity immature mindful about silly things only concerned about pleasure and being pleased self-oriented 
What's in it for me? All those attitudes. And I haven't even read the whole thing. But they're about a little boy who never grew up. How horrified we ought to be of being Christians who never grow. What can I do today to ensure that my relationship with Christ Jesus is growing, maturing every day? Let's pray together. Father, I leave.